Wonderful. Thank you. It's uh, good to have you with us. Uh, I hope you're enjoying your bank holiday. It's been a long one, and I know loads of people are away, so it's good uh, that we can still get together and worship him. Just a few announcements before we preach. There's, uh, this morning, there's no youth, so youth are in the meeting this morning the whole way through, so uh, you're not upstairs today. Uh, also, home groups as normal this week. If you're not in a group and you want to be part of one, please come and see me, and we can connect you to the right people. Uh, and then just a reminder, tithes and offerings on the purple boxes on the wall, not being passed around. But uh, also, if this morning you, uh, just a reminder, just, if you want to be part of any of the teams helping in children's ministry or anything like that, please can you either see me and we can point you in the right direction or at the back wall on the shelf there, there are some cards. One of those cards is a Teams card with a whole lot of different things that you want to get involved in. If you want to do that, please fill in the card and just pop it in the purple box. I'll get it during the week, but that's good. Okay, uh, before the children go through, I'm going to spring this on you, Werner. Um, um, some of you will know Ella leaves on Friday. Ella leaves on Friday to go to Chicago for a worship internship for eight weeks. So I thought it would be good for us to pray for her before she goes. Uh, and uh, we pray for her all the time. So because she's my daughter, I'm going to get Vernon to come pray for her. And anybody else who wants to come up and just, just we just going to pray for her. Send her off that as she goes, be enriched and everything else there and then comes back. Uh, I know she she's in Edinburgh and she's only here on holidays. But still, part of our investment, part of our inheritance, part of our working together. So Ella, why don't you come up? Anybody else who wants to come pray? Just come pray. Stand here. Just because Ella has left home as such, she hasn't left her heart or part of this community. She's sown so often and so faithfully in this community, hasn't she? And what a joy that we are able to send her over there so that she can be ministered to and uh, increase can come and uh, capacity can come. So, Lord God, we pray for Ella, Lord God. You've given us such an amazing gift. Such a, a, an incredible heart, Lord God, like David, to worship before you, singing and songwriting and leading, Lord God. Father, I pray that this time will be an incredible time, Lord God, with the capacity you've given her, Lord God, to dream worship, Lord God, to dream of leading people into your presence, Lord God, and for you to meet with your people. I pray, Father, that, uh, that her capacity to dream with you will be increased a hundredfold, Lord God. That these hands, which are already so skillful, Lord God, Father, that you will have an ability, Lord God, to, to just do incredible things, Lord God. That whatever instrument she picks up, whatever instrument she's playing, Lord God, will be anointed because you have deemed it so, Lord God, through her hands, Lord God. Father, we pray for a heart, that the heart will beat in sync with yours, Lord God. Father, that as she rests her ear on your chest, Lord God, close to you, loving you, embraced by you, that her heart will beat closely in synchronization with yours, Lord God. That the words that she, that she pens, Lord God, and sings will be like a healing balm, Lord God, will be inspirational, will build courage when courage is needed, Lord God. Boldness when boldness is needed and quietness when quietness is needed. Father, we just pray that this time will be incredibly, incredibly sweet to her, Lord God. That even though she's going to be ministered to, that she will be a blessing to those around as we know she is, Lord God. We pray for traveling mercies, for protection, Lord God, for your angels to go before her, Lord God, for your command to be on her. 
In Jesus' powerful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you. Right, children, you can go through. Uh, So primary school children, they can go through. Cool, cool. Good. So we're going to carry on this morning just in our series through um, building a culture. I think we've probably got one more week to go and then we're done in that one. Uh, But um, we're looking this morning at uh, developing a culture of discipleship is what I've called it. Um, And you know that building a culture or developing a culture isn't an instant thing. Uh, It takes time. It isn't something that uh, is a quick fad or a direction change, but it's actually something that is a lifestyle and is a long, a long game, if you want to look at it that way, that we constantly give ourselves to. So it develops over time, and it takes time, and it takes consistency, and it takes commitment from ourselves, but also intentionality, because some things don't happen unless we intentionally adjust our thinking, our lifestyle, and, and how we appropriate the things of scripture that we read and the truth that is then transforming us. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to launch straight into this. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true, that your word transforms. Uh, Lord, I also thank you that we can freely come before you and that you speak to us. And so this morning, as we look at this, Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts, but also realign our thinking in in accordance with the truth. Uh, And that we would see things as you see them and we would uh, step into the fullness of what you've called us to. In Jesus' name. Amen. So a while ago, we looked at, uh, I don't know how long ago, probably an hour, a year or an hour, a year or so ago, sometimes an hour ago does seem a while ago, but uh, probably about a year or so ago, we looked at um, the theme of discipleship. And I don't know if you remember, if you're around then, that uh, I focused on the fact that it was, um, uh, because at that time, that's what I felt the focus is. So there are two parts to discipleship. We look at the second part this morning. But the, the, the part that I felt to focus on then was that discipleship is about our followership of Jesus, that we follow him. He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishes of men. And discipleship is actually how we follow Jesus. And that it's a personal thing that we take responsibility for. Uh, do you remember when I spoke on that? Yes. Some of you looking blankly at me, but that's fine. Um, and, and that actually discipleship is how I follow Jesus, and I need to take responsibility for that, just like you need to take responsibility for that in your life. It's not something that someone else imposes on you. It's not a course you go through. It's the truth of responding to him, listening to his, the truth of his word, and committing ourselves to follow him wholeheartedly. That is discipleship and takes devotion, obedience, and uh, personal ownership or responsibility for, and it leads to, well, it should lead to, life, growth, freedom, and fruitfulness as we become more and more like Jesus. But too often we look at discipleship and we think it's something that we go on or something that someone else does to us. Remember how we looked at all of that. So that's the one part of discipleship. The other way the term discipleship is used uh, in church is, is the way in which we help others to grow in their relationship with God, just as others help us. 
in our relationship, our knowledge and understanding of Jesus. So it transforms us and how we live and leads to freedom, fruitfulness and, uh, and faithfulness in our lives. So in other words, the one is... The one part of discipleship is our, our personal response, which we looked at a, a while ago. Today, what I'm looking at in the, in the context of building a, a culture of discipleship is that process of us or helping one another to grow in God to come to spiritual maturity. So that's the second part, which is what we're looking at today. And that part is the outworking of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, which is what? You should know what the Great Commission is, which is to to go into all the world, to make disciples. It's not a trick question, this one. I kind of would have thought you would have known that. But it's to go into all the world, to make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And then we see, the same, uh, we see the same picked up again in Mark. It's slightly different, but also in Acts, where Jesus says to them, wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll receive power, which is the day of Pentecost, which is today in the church calendar. That's what we celebrate. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So that we could make disciples that they would follow Jesus. And you see, that's why we need to build that culture of making disciples that in our daily lives and, and give ourselves to that so that we are actually fulfilling what God's called us to. And discipleship in this term is not, in, is not a course, but it's actually something that we give ourselves to in its relationship. In my mind, relationship and discipleship are intertwined and cannot be separated. Because in order to build into someone's life, you have to have that relationship with that. Which is slightly different compared to being a witness or going to sow seed. Because you can sow seed anywhere. You don't need to have a relationship with someone to tell them about Jesus. To show them the love of Jesus. To declare the truth of the gospel. That they would come to him. We do, we don't have, if we think we have to have a relationship with someone before we can tell them about Jesus, we are missing a huge amount of what God's called us to. It helps if we do, but we don't have to. So that's different from discipleship. For me, discipleship is actually that process of sharing your faith, declaring the gospel and all of those things, but then also helping people to grow in their Christ-likeness, bringing them to a place of maturity in him. Make sense? So Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus, when, he, when he's calling his disciples, he says this. He says, come and follow me. In other words, come and be my disciple. And he doesn't stop there. And too often we hear that and we just think, come and be my disciple. And we come, become believers and we live in the community of the church and we become very comfortable with each other and we just sit. But actually the purpose of following Jesus is that we would be fishers of men. Because there's a world that doesn't know him, doesn't know the truth and hasn't got a hope to live for. G, uh, um, Andrew came and spoke to me during the worship just uh, that real sense of where we were singing of that glorious day that we, when Jesus returns and for us who believe it will be glorious because our saviour returns and we come to be with him but for those who don't know him it's not going to be glorious it's going to be terrifying because they then come face to face with the God that they've rejected and have no hope for a future because when he returns that's it 
And so our purpose here on earth is to go to share our faith, to be witnesses, to tell of what we've seen and experienced, but also to make disciples of every nation, tribe, and tongue. So wherever God sends us. And just like Ella's going to Chicago, the church, there's two churches that we work with in Chicago. Then we've just been in, uh, in Europe with all the churches across there. There's a, the, we've got John in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, that's just the people that we know. And there's a church about to be planted in um, Vienna, in Austria, as well. I think from a German church, it's going to go across to Vienna. So there's lots. And the purpose and the reason we do that isn't to, I don't know, have adventures and be busy. It's because there's a world that needs the gospel. There are people who don't know Jesus, who need to know Jesus, and, and they're people to disciple. And so that's what we give our lives for. And that it starts here where we are at home. And so Jesus says, come and follow me and, and I will make you fishers of men. As we surrender our lives to him and become more and more like him and follow in obedience after him, then we, we do what he's called us to do. We do what he's created us to do, which is to go and share our faith and become fishers of men to bring people into the kingdom. And the incredible thing is this, is that there are two parts. There's a part that we have responsibility for, and there's a part that Jesus has responsibility for. And this is very simplistic. So I know there are more parts than two, but our job is to do what? To be witnesses, to preach the gospel, to follow Jesus, and to make disciples. Quite simple. So if our job is to be witnesses and preach the gospel... God's job is to save them. That's not our job. We do what we've been called to do, which is declare the truth, love them, show them who God is, preach the gospel. He's the one who saves them. We just need to do what he calls us to do. And if we're to make disciples, he's the one who builds the church. He's the one who brings them to that place of Understanding that there needs to be a change of heart. We can't force people to change. God's the one who changes them. We don't. If we're trying to force someone to change, we're doing something wrong. I can't make you change. I can only speak the truth. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts and brings transformation in us. If we try and make people to change through, through guilt or condemnation, or for, that's nonsense. We preach the gospel, we share the truth, and it's the Holy Spirit's the one who brings the change in people, not us. And so we've just got to be obedient with what God has called us to, which is to be witnesses, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. In other words, to help people grow in God, teaching them everything that the Word says, teaching them how to obey. But that means that we also need to obey. You see, all of us are on that journey. It's not, it's not an event it's a, it's a journey or a process or a life of following after him. That's why, to me, discipleship's not a course, because a course you do and you finish and you get a certificate. Discipleship is a life. We are on this journey for the rest of our time on earth as we become more, hopefully become more and more like Jesus, learning what the truth is, responding to that in obedience and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. And we don't do that in our own strength, but we do it empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? Because Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So we do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Last week, Werner spoke about an invitational culture of how we look for opportunities or, or look for the moments of connection with those who, are, who don't know God so that we can be used by him in order to reach them, to share the truth of, of the hope that we have in Jesus, to talk about God and to invite them into that relationship with him, to invite them into that relationship and community with us. And that's part of this whole thing. And that's connected to our own discipleship, our own followership of Jesus, but it's also connected to how we take responsibility to disciple others. And as we do that, we need to, I believe we need to build relationships. But we need to build relationships in three areas. The first is build our relationship with God. We don't have a relationship with Jesus, then we actually need to come to that point of understanding who he is, what he's done, and our response to him. And there's forgiveness, and there's grace, and there's mercy, and we build that relationship with Jesus. We build that relationship with God because that's what it is. It's not a religious thing, it's a relationship. So we build our relationship with Jesus. Then the other is to build our relationship with those who don't know God. Why? So that we can make moments of connection and bridges that we can help bring them to him and share who God is. And then there's build our relationship with those who are believers, in other words, in the community of the church. And we do that in order to encourage, to strengthen, to disciple and be discipled. See how those three things, intentionally committing ourselves to building relationship with God, building relationship with those who don't know him, and building relationship with those who do know him that we're in church community with so that we can strengthen and do what he's called us to do. Building those relationships enables us to walk out to the call that God has for us. But only you can do that. No one can force you. But if we're going to build a culture of discipleship and culture of growing in him together, then we need to give ourselves wholeheartedly to those three areas of relationship. See, if we try and build relationship with those in the church without, a relation, without giving focus on our relationship with God, we're just a club. If we build our relationship with God and no one else, then I'd have to question how much we're actually building our relationship with God. Because if you understand God's heart, then we understand the overflow of that, if we catch that, is that we will build a relationship with others. And if we build a relationship with God and only the, those who don't know him and no one in the church, then what are we helping those people to come into? Nothing. Because you can't say to someone, oh, you need to be part of a church if you're not part of a church. You, you can't say to someone, you need to be connected and discipled and encouraged if we don't give ourselves to those things. So we need to focus on all three. I think the most important is our relationship with God, but because of that, those others are affected, and we give ourselves to those things. And those things have to happen intentionally because they just don't happen by chance. We have to work on them. Like any relationship, we have to intentionally and consciously give time to and work with. We were in um, Paris last week, 
time goes. Um, and uh, one of the chaps uh, in, in one of the sessions at the, the Equip conference, uh, there was a panel of people who had planted churches and discussions and everything else, and someone was asking questions. And there was this one couple who, who I know from, they've known me f- since before Lisa know me, knew me, so that's a long, long time. Uh, and um, so how, I think Ray must be in his 80s same age as my dad so and and he is constantly he's always for me he's always been around he's always been faithful he's planted churches led churches handed over my brother leads one of the one of my brothers lead a church that he led and someone asked him this question him and his wife who actually there, there was dancing and, and and worship that was crazy and and his wife moira who's must be late 70s she said if there are 20 people who who in the exuberance and and love for god dive off the stage she would do the same because that's and why would we stop them? So you get this pattern of who they are, just a passion. I've ministered in Ukraine with them, in Russia, in all sorts of places. And they were asked, what is it that keeps you constantly going in the things of the kingdom? I mean, in the late 70s, 80s, they'd just done a seven-week trip around Europe, ministering in different nations, different country, at different churches, pouring out with God, passionate for him. And his response was this, making time every day to meet with God before anything else. That's what keeps his passion, his vision, his focus on the straight and, and passionately following after God. And I, I, I've known him for pretty much most of my life. And there's always been that consistency. You see, if we're in this for the long haul, if we're in this to make disciples and reach nations and go beyond until Jesus comes back, We have to give ourselves to daily meeting with God. Daily encountering Him and allowing Him to transform us and change us. Day in and day out. But we have to give ourselves to those things. So if we're looking at how do we build a culture of discipleship. How do we build a culture where we grow in our understanding and relationship with God. We grow in spiritual maturity with each other. It starts with giving ourselves to building relationally with God daily, but also with others. You see, when we do that, it's our personal responsibility to do that for our lives. No one can make you meet with God. We choose to respond and do that. But we also need to meet with others so that we build Iron sharpens iron. We encourage, strengthen, take out the word. Look at that so we grow in our experience of God, grow in our understanding of him, grow in our knowledge of him. And and that leads to a life of discipleship where we're constantly growing in our faith. Studying the word on our own. Studying the word with others. Taking those who are with you and saying, this is what the word says. Let's work this through. And we don't wait for that to become part of a church program. That's our lives. That's what it means to build a, a culture of, of discipleship where we, we live our lives for each other, uh, with each other, f- for God, in obedience to Him. Building our relationship with those who don't know Him is incredibly important if we're going to reach them for the kingdom. If we are going to be those who, who take seriously what God has commissioned every single one of us for, or two, we then need to build a relationship with unbelievers and it requires that we engage with them. 
that we interact, we engage with the culture and the community around us so that we can share the gospel, so that we can make those moments of connection and God would use us. We're not called to live in our holy enclave of Christianity. What good is that when the world is dying? What good is that when the world don't know him, but we need to engage the community and the culture around us so that we can share our faith and invite them to encounter Jesus, the one that you have encountered, that they would have a hope and a future that, that is before them. If you look in Luke chapter 15, really well known, there are three parables that Jesus tells. He tells one of a parable of, of a lady who loses a coin, and then she searches everywhere until she finds the coin. And when she finds the coin, then she calls her neighbors and they celebrate together because she's found the coin. Then he goes straight on to speak about someone, it's like a, 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 someone who, who has a hundred sheep and, and one sheep wanders off and is lost. And it says he leaves the 99 and he searches until he finds the one and then brings that one back. And then he calls all his friends and neighbors and they have a celebration because the one who is lost is found. And then the third is the, is, the, is the parable of the father who had two sons and one takes all his inheritance early and goes and squanders his wealth and goes off and parties and does all sorts of things, lands up in a pigsty and, and then comes to a sentence and says, I need to go back and ask for forgiveness. I need to go back to my father. And then he comes back and his father sees him and runs to him and embraces him and he restores it completely to his inheritance in the family and everything else and forgives everything that's gone before and he's been reinstated and they have a big celebration because the one who has lost has been found. And Jesus uses those three parables to teach about the kingdom and how we to, uh, to reach the lost and how important those are. And if you just think through that process of what that looks like, we see that the, that process of searching for a coin, have you ever lost something that you really needed? You kind of retrace your steps, you go over and over and, and you don't stop until you find it. That's what he's saying. God doesn't stop until those who are lost know him. And how do you think God searches for them? How do you think God reaches them? Through his Holy Spirit, but through us. So how can we do that if we don't engage with the culture we live in? The same with the sheep. He, he wanders everywhere, leaves the 99 that are safe and happy and goes off searching for the one that has wandered off. And he doesn't quit until he finds it. And in none of those three accounts, none of those parables, does it say that he searched and didn't find them. Nowhere does he say he searched and then gave up because it took too long. God doesn't give up. He searches and goes and gets. He searches and finds those who've wandered off. He searches and, yes, there is the one of the son who God didn't force him to come back. I, I, I read that parable and I think the father probably knew exactly where the son was. But the son had to come to that realization that he needed to come home. And he was ready and waiting. And when he saw him, he ran to him. He didn't wait for him to come. You know how sometimes when someone's done something to us, we're kind of cool. And when we see them, we went, well, they're going to need to come and apologize. I'm going to wait. Let's see. He didn't do that. He saw him far off and he says he ran to him. See, the incredible thing is the beginning of Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, in inverted commas, 
were all gathering around Jesus to hear him. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Two groups. The world. Those who don't know him. Where were they? They were coming in close to hear what he had to say. Although he was the son of God, although he spoke with such authority and clarity and called it as it was, they were drawn to him. And he was accessible. And they understood him. And they could, and somehow, I don't know how, but they related to him and wanted to hear from him. And those who were religious didn't want to have anything to do with him. They called him a friend of sinners. Who's the one that we should emulate? Jesus. Jesus. We know that the Pharisees didn't like sinners, didn't like the dirty, rotten people who did all those things. They kept themselves apart. But, and none of the people in society rarely wanted to be near them. Yet Jesus, the Son of God, they pushed in to hear what he had to say. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be like Jesus mm-hmm. than a Pharisee. Pushing in to those around us so that we are accessible, we are approachable, we're not weird. Not so kind of stuck up that they feel that they can't come. The scripture tells us that we're in the world but not of the world. Which is true because we go and we, we'd engage with the culture around us and the people around us without that changing us. We're here to bring light and salt to change the world. Not us, but him in us. Jesus engaged with those around him without compromise at all. The same should be true for us. And how do we do that? By daily spending our time with him. Then our first call is Jesus and building our relationship with him. And then as we do that and reflect him, we should become more accessible, more attractive to the world. Because we have something that they desire without even knowing it. So my question is this. How far out your comfort zone are you willing to go to engage with Crawley and the community around you? How far out your comfort zone are you willing to do that? You need to answer that question. Just as I do. But can I also say this? It doesn't always have to be out your comfort zone. So, part of Werner's message last week was a challenge that we would engage with those around us. Look for opportunities. So, just I'm not showing this example to show that we're anything different or any good or anything else, but just to show that actually it doesn't have to be out your comfort zone, but we need to take what God says, accept the challenge, and step into that. So this weekend we've had the Jubilee celebrations, right? So what we decided to do this week was we invited, potentially, well, we invited 18 of our neighbors, our garden isn't that big, 18 of our neighbors to come to tea. Some of them we've never met before. Some of them we have, but only say hello to. So we did that. So and that's, I don't mind making tea. We can put on cake and things like that. That's quite fine. That's in our comfort zone. But out our comfort zone of, I don't even know who you are. So we put those env- invites out 
and invited them. You don't have to RSVP, we'll just be ready. And so we were ready, and it's like the whole of the Friday, we're like, I wonder if anybody's going to come. It's like, are they going to come? They're not going to come. And then we heard the one with uh, the gate go, and then heard her calling to the other neighbors, like, are you going to the party? And, then, and so eventually we had a whole group, which was really, really lovely. Awesome. Seven. seven. Out of 18, we had seven. But that was seven we didn't have before. Amazing. You see, that's not out of our comfort zone. It's what we can do. We can host. We can cook. We can bake. We can pour tea. But it's saying, God, what have you given me? Where's the opportunity for connection? Why? Because we called to engage with those around us and build relationship, look for the moments. And so they all now know exactly what we do before they didn't. And they didn't know each other. And we've got a mix of people from some people who, who live on one side 48 years ago used to live in the house on the other side. And others are from different nations and, uh, and all sorts. Why? Because if we believe, which I'm convinced of, that God's the one who determines the exact time and place where you are to live. That means he's also determined the exact people who live next to you. And you have a commission, which is to be Jesus to them. So, yes, sometimes we need that question, how far out of our comfort zone are we willing to go? To be seen, maybe by other Christians, as you hanging out with sinners, that's fine. Jesus did. But sometimes it's also within our comfort zones of this is what I'm happy to do. But let me extend the invite to those who don't know him because that's why we're here. See, that's part of the process. And as people respond to him, then we show them who Jesus is, disciple, help them grow in their relationship with God and build those relationships. And so we build the relationships with with the world in order to reach them. But we build those relationships with those in church community in order that we all grow. And we become more and more like Jesus. So that as we do that, we then are discipling others that would then go out and reach people and disciple people. You see, once we become disciples of Jesus, in other words, once we become those who follow him... We need to give ourselves to growing in our knowledge and relationship with him and with others. And we, we need each other. We need each other to be able to speak into our lives, to help us take the word of God and, and, and transform us. Because there's some things we don't see in our lives. You know the term blind spot? The mere fact that we all know what a blind spot is means that we need others around us to show us the things that we can't see. Because if we could see them, it wouldn't be a blind spot. That's why we have leaders that God... Not leaders don't control, leaders don't... But leaders are there to help us see what the truth says and see our blind spots. But so are every single one of us. So don't hear me saying that we need to be discipled and we, are, we are, don't need to only be discipled by leaders. We need to be discipled by anybody that we have a relationship with that we do this together. Yeah. But there are some things that we need to bounce off people who God has put in our lives that are leaders that can point things out and help us in our decision making. But the point is this, is as we become followers of Jesus, we need to build relationally, intentionally with others so that together we can grow in him, establishing the foundations that we build our lives on. You know the scripture that says, iron sharpens iron, 
It's when it touches and it works out the things of the truth of the word. You know the other parable Jesus tells of the wise and the foolish builders? You know that one? There are two builders, one who built his house in the sand and one who built his house in the rock. And when the storms came, the one who built his house in the sand fell and the one who built his house in the rock had stood. You know, you know the parable? Yes. And, and it's building our lives on him taking the word and applying it. The problem in those parables was not an issue of the storm. Storms come. The storms were just part of what happens. Jesus' problem, the, the issue in those two parables wasn't the storm, wasn't the nature of the storm, the ferocity of the storm, the frequency of the storm. What was the problem? The nature of the foundations. How do we build solid foundations? We can't do it on our own. We need others. That's what discipleship is, building foundations in our lives. And we never move from that point because those foundations are built on and built on and built on and built on. Because we all face storms. The problem isn't the storms. The storms expose the foundations. So how are your foundations? How is the truth of God's word being input into your life and my life so that we would grow in faith, in word, in, in, in faith in the word of God and the community of believers so that we actually would walk with strong foundations, iron sharpening iron, growing in him, becoming people who grow in our relationship with him, our understanding of him, our experience of him, and then we outwork that by reaching those who don't know him and bring them into that place of relationship with him. You see, discipleship in this context is a process or a journey of walking and becoming more and more like Jesus. It's not an event that happens. It's a life that we give ourselves to. Work following him, taking responsibility of that, but also helping others as they help us to grow in our relationship with him, becoming more and more like Jesus and becoming more and more spiritually mature. They're not random things that just happen. And when we understand that our commission is to go and make disciples, then everything that we do needs to have that as part of the focus of what we do and why we do it. Why do we meet together in home groups? Yes, to build community and encourage, but so that we become more like Jesus, so that we can grow in our understanding of him, our relationship with him. We can wrestle with the word. The foundations become strong. The building becomes strong that we can build into each other's lives and are discipled. Why do we build relationships with the, with the lost? Why do we preach about going to the, the nations and, so that we can go and make disciples so that they would grow in him? See, when we see that as intrinsically part of who we are, then it becomes something that we intentionally and consistently give ourselves to. Always. It's a lifestyle of how we live. Engaging with the culture, engaging with those who don't know him, engaging with those who do, building into each other's lives so that we all grow in our relationship with him. That's what it means to build a culture of discipleship. So that as that happens, then what, what what happens is we grow in our understanding and relationship with him. We're equipped to do the same thing, to go out and reach the lost, to preach the gospel, to see them get saved and make disciples so that they would go out and make disciples that make disciples, that make disciples that make disciples. That's how the world is reached. Not by one man doing everything, but each one of us pouring our lives into one other. Constantly, that then goes and does the same. 
That's what Jesus just Jesus took the 12. He poured his life into them. He, he, he taught them. He explained what he taught. He challenged attitudes and insecurities and arrogance and all those things in them. He sent them out. They came back. He gave feedback. He sent them out. Why? He said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He, he calls us to follow him so that he can send us. And then when he went to heaven, he said, wait, because you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what I've called you to do. It's the same for you and I. We don't do this in our own strength. We do it empowered by the Holy Spirit that we would be those that every believer is a minister. Every believer makes disciples and every disciple makes disciples. Not of ourselves, but of Jesus. Teaching people how to follow him. We need to be taught how to follow him. We need to follow him and build that. You see, when we, when we do that, then we truly living as God's called us to live. That's what we're here for, to reach the lost, to make disciples. That's why last week's message about invitational, inviting them to our homes, inviting them to connect with Jesus, inviting them to church, inviting them, making those points of contact. So that why? So that people who don't know him come to know him. That what Vern was speaking about last week, that's the going out and looking for those precious, precious people who need to come to Jesus. And when they do, then we don't just think, well, now you're here, that's it, go out and do it. We equip, we disciple, and we never, ever move on from the need of being discipled. But as a church community, that's the culture we're wanting to build. That's the, what we're giving our lives to, is pouring out our lives into each other so that we can reach those who don't know him. And we grow in God together, intentionally giving ourselves to those things. Make sense? The thing is, it's something that we commit ourselves to constantly, consistently, and it gets messy. But that's fine. Because God's the one who sorts the mess out, not us. There needs to be a reality of following him and working that out with each other. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you don't leave us where we are. You love us so much that you sent your son to come and die for us, but you love us so much that you don't leave us where we are, but you want us and draw us to yourself so that we would live in the fullness of who you've called and created us to be. Thank you, God, that you don't give up on us, that you're constantly seeking and searching for us. Lord, I pray that as we give ourselves to following you wholeheartedly, pursuing you, building relationship with others, both in the church community and those who don't believe, Lord, that we would be transformed to become more and more like you, Jesus. And that we would be salt and light and make the most of every opportunity that those who don't know you come to a relationship with you. God, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you haven't left us to try and work this out on our own, but you've given us your Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray for the empowering that you bring, that we would be able to live out and work out what it means to be disciples of you who make disciples, who make disciples. For your glory, for your honor, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
Wonderful. Thanks for coming. There's tea and coffee through there, and there are one or two cakes left over from our tea, so there we go. That was a bonus for you from our neighborhood. Uh, If your children are three, you need to go and fetch your children today. Have a brilliant week.